0: So, you're retired, not yet old enough for Medicare and looking for some sort of health coverage between now and then and trying to figure out your options? Well, stick around for this, the 39th episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, portfolio withdrawal strategies, annuities, estate planning, and much more. And now, here's your host, Andy Panko. Hello, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening. Today, I want to talk about the uh, different health insurance options you may have available to you if you have since retired. Specifically, the scenario I'm thinking about is you used to have coverage through your employer, health insurance coverage through your employer. Uh, You've since lost that. Let's assume it's because you retired um, and you are not yet 65, so you cannot yet sign up for Medicare. So now what do you do for health insurance or health coverage between now and when you do turn 65? Well, there's a, there's a handful of different options, which I'm about to step through. Um, some of them may be available to you. Some of them definitely will not. Uh, they each have their own pros and cons, but at least you, after today's episode, you'll know what the options are and uh, also where to go. I'll you know give you some helpful tips about uh, how to go about seeking out uh, s- some of these things here. So Without further ado, let's get into it. And, and this, this uh, episode sort of piggybacks off of last week's episode, episode 38, where I talked about the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, or the government exchange, quote-unquote exchange, last week in in, in detail. Uh, spoiler alert, that's one of the options I'm going to talk about today. I have seven or eight options today. Um, so for for further info on the Affordable Care Act and uh, health insurance coverage they're under, definitely go back and check out episode 38 Today, we'll be touching on that and a handful of other possible uh, insurance options if you are, again, retired and not yet 65, so not yet eligible for Medicare. All right. Uh, First option is what's called (laughs) self-insurance. Simply don't buy any insurance. You know, you don't have coverage. In effect, you're just winging it, right? There's no monthly premiums you have to pay because you don't have any insurance coverage. But uh, the downside is if and when you do need to go to the doctor or the hospital or whatever, have some sort of procedure, um, it's 100% on you. You know, that, I, I just leave it there. You, you can all see where I'm going with this. That could potentially be catastrophically devastating. You know, you're 63. Let's say you're, you're planning on just being safe and waiting two more years until you're 65 and sign for Medicare and planning on winging it without any coverage. Um, something happens, whether, you know, a freak accident, you, you walk and roll your ankle on the curb and fall and crack your head or something, or, you know, something else, a heart issue or something pops up that you know, it's really outside of your control. Um, that would be bad. So it's technically an option. Um, you know, option number one in reality, it, it's, it's really not, it, it's incredibly dangerous, uh, to do one thing you consider, let's call this uh, option two or option 1.5. If you want, um, catastrophic insurance. So it is it's it is health insurance, but it's not comprehensive. It's not, uh, uh, um, I don't know, it's catastrophic by nature. So it'll only cover, I, I frankly not not an uh, expert in it. I don't know too much about it. I haven't personally shopped for it or looked into it. But my understanding is it's simply, you know, you need to go to the doctor to get some routine. You know, you got the sniffles, want to get a, a basic checkup or just an annual physical or something. I don't believe catastrophic insurance covers that. I think it's only... I don't know if it's certain events or services or just those that have a certain dollar amount of bill associated with it, basically something big, right? You know, you you fall, you, you shatter your hip, you're in a, I don't know, wheelchair and extensive physical therapy for, for months or something. Um, then I think catastrophic steps in to cover some of it just so you're not on the hook for the full, you know, few hundred thousand dollars or whatever it may be for that. So it's another option, catastrophic insurance. Um, one other option is, and this probably isn't common or available to you, but see if your company that you retired from has any special retiree health benefits. So th- this can take a few different shapes or forms. Um, it's it's may or may not be subsidized partially through them. Uh, so it's probably if they do offer, it's probably going to be more expensive than what you were paying while you were an employee, but could be better, could be cheaper than just getting a fresh policy on your own on the outside world or doing one of these other options I'm about to discuss here. Um, it's worth looking into. Now, decades ago, this was probably pretty or, or was fairly common. So if you are retiring now, you're in your late 50s, early 60s, you may potentially have this available to you. Anyone in their 20s or 30s listening to this, good luck. Uh, you know, Almost without a doubt, you're not going to have any sort of uh, retiree coverage, health employee co- health insurance coverage from your employers, if and when you eventually retire. But for some folks, this is an option. Just just check and see. Again, it may or may not be the same coverage you had while you were employed. Just uh, possibly less subsidized, or it could potentially be slightly different uh, coverage or policy than what you had. Again, maybe somewhat subsidized, maybe not. But if you do have this available to you, it could be worth looking into because it, it could be cheaper than than uh, the alternatives. Next option, and this only applies if, if you're married, uh, is if your spouse isn't retired and has health insurance coverage through his or her employer. In that case, chances are you can get added on to your spouse's uh, employer-based coverage. The benefit is there's not going to be any underwriting, meaning you don't need to pass a physical or something to get added. Uh, generally, when you have employer coverage, there's only once a year can you make changes to your policy. But... This would be one of those qualifying, sort of life-changing events. You know, you as the spouse of the employee lost your own employer coverage. That would then qualify you to get added to your spouse's coverage at work. Uh, And it's that going that route is probably cheaper than uh, some of the other options we're discussing here today. Not necessarily, but worth looking into and probably cheaper. Uh, but again, if you're not married, this is flat out, not even a consideration. Even if you are married, it presupposes that your spouse is, is actually still working and has, uh, um, coverage through, through his or her employer. So that's, that's another one. Uh, next is what's called COBRA, C O B R A, which is a acronym for the consolidated omnibus budget reconciliation act. Fun fact. This is when, uh, you have coverage through your employer and you stop your, your service at that employer, whether it's voluntary resignation, retirement, um, you get fired, whatever it may be, you have the right, this is this is a government mandated right, you have the right, the option to extend, to keep and extend your employer-sponsored healthcare for typically 18 months. There are some instances where you can extend it for 36 months, but that's rare. I, I, don't, I forget the specifics, but in some cases of, if there's disability or divorce involved, or if you're, uh, I forget this, if, you're other, if you have another spouse in the policy and he or she leaves it to start Medicare, I th- think that further extends you. Or if that other spouse was the one getting COBRA and you were covered under it and that spouse starts Medicare, I think that opens up the window for you to get an additional 18 months. But that aside, generally speaking, you can uh, only continue on this COBRA coverage for 18 months. And it's, it's, I, I think in, in all cases, this is available to you if you have employer coverage. Now, maybe, uh, I don't know, but I'm just thinking out loud, there might be some exceptions where if you work for a really small employer, you know, under a certain amount of employees or something, um, COBRA may not apply t- to them, right? You, they may not be obligated to extend this coverage to you. But assuming you work for anything other than a really tiny employer, I'm, I'm fairly certain this applies to to everyone if you have employer coverage. So what this is, now, now COBRA coverage isn't a different policy. It's not a special policy, which many people don't actually know. It's simply just the exact same policy and coverage you had while you were working. You just continue that on as is. So it's pretty seamless. You, I, I believe you keep the same uh, insurance card. I don't think they make you get a new card. Uh, you know All the limits, the coverages, uh, the, the, the network of providers is the same. The difference is while you're working, Chances are your employer was at least partially subsidizing some of the uh, the costs, you know, the monthly premium cost of that policy. When you leave and you you continue on that policy, that coverage through COBRA, you now pay the full sticker price of that premium every month, and in addition, there's an additional I don't know if it's two or three percent, but there's an additional few percent. Uh, surcharge, if you will, added on for the administrative expense of your uh, previous employer continuing to administer a plan for you, even though you're no longer an employee. So, so they charge you a little more. So again, you pay the full sticker price of the premium plus a few percent on top of that. Uh, so that's a downside. It's not necessarily going to be cheap, but uh, it, it is seamless. Like I said, you continue on as is. You don't need to shop around for new coverage. You don't need to find new doctors and new services and network and stuff like that. So it's worth considering, but again, assume it's only eighteen months of coverage at most is how long you can use Cobra, and it's it's, it's eight uh, eighteen months after you stop working. You can't like uh, delay Cobra for a year and then start it for a year and a half. No, it, it has to pick up where you left off with your uh, cessation of employment. So that's Cobra, and and just put some numbers to this. This is my own personal experience when I was uh, working in my last corporate job before starting my advisory business in late twenty nineteen. I had, and I knew it at the time, really good coverage, health insurance coverage through through my employer. It was a large employer, um, you know, they had a really great benefits package, and I knew the premiums, the monthly premiums that were deducted out of my paycheck, were heavily subsidized. So it was, I had family coverage: me, my wife, and our two two kids were covered under this policy. Fairly low deductible, fairly high coverages, and you know. Um, low out of pockets for me as a policy holder. And I was paying like, I want to say it was like 250 bucks a month coming out of my paychecks. And previous places I worked who were, who were comparably large, uh, big, you know, global brokerages and investment banks. So I knew they had good benefits as well. I was paying like four or five, 600 a month for family policy, which I still knew was pretty cheap because I know of other folks who were paying, you know, a thousand plus a month for for health insurance. Anyway, so when I, um, I never really paid attention to what the sticker price of that policy was. All I knew was I was paying like $250 a month out of my paycheck towards premiums, which I knew was good. I didn't know how good. Um, and I knew enough to know that when I stopped working there, that if I were to start Cobra, it would simply be I'd be paying the full freight of that monthly premium plus a couple of percent. Well, when, when I was going through the process of researching you know, prior to me actually leaving what exactly the premiums would be. Come to find out it was $2,700 a month in premiums. Now, that's just premium. That's not you know out-of-pocket and stuff on the back end like co-pays. Now, granted, those things are relatively small because it was a, a good policy. But still, $2,700 a month in premiums for this policy I had uh, through work. So I, I did not um, continue on with, with COBRA. Thankfully, my my wife she was eligible to get benefits through her employer, so that's what we did. Uh, she was previously covered under mine, but when I stopped working, in my corporate gig, we, we dropped that insurance, and all four of us my wife, myself, my two kids got picked up on her employer's uh, plan, which which saved us you know a, a lot of money compared to paying twenty seven hundred a month out of pocket for premiums. So that, that's Cobra, definitely an option. Um, again, seamless, simple, but not going to be cheap next option is just shop around and buy your own policy directly whether you go through a health insurance broker um i don't have any particular recommend just i guess google health insurance brokers or ask around and see if anyone can refer you I, I know they're out there or i mean this may be futile but maybe even just contacting insurance companies directly that you know uh, offer policies in your state and, and see what you can do now, there's no easy way to do this. I mean, maybe a broker is probably the, the better way, but um, regardless, it's going to come down to getting a bunch of policies put in front of you and simply doing the homework of comparing costs and coverages and, you know, doctors you want in need and drugs you may need to take, um, services you plan on having or needing and seeing which policy is going to be the best and just weigh, you know, how much you're going to pay in premiums versus how much on back end, and what's covered, what's not. Um so so that's an option. again, not going to be cheap. Uh, health insurance never is, but not going to be cheap, but um, nonetheless it's an option to, to just go direct and get a policy this way. Next, uh health health uh, I'm sorry, faith based health sharing. So what is this? now, this is the interesting one. Um, fairly large, large larger than than I thought I forget the statistics, but the this this world is bigger than I uh assumed it would be. This is when you are part of some faith-based organization. Commonly, it's like Christian-based faiths where they will, uh, a bunch of people of the same faith will get together and, in effect, pool up their monies and help pay for uh, health insurance expenses for each other, for the members. Now, it's not insurance insurance it is technically not insurance it is just simply a bunch of individuals pooling money and paying for each other's out of pocket healthcare expenses but it does look and feel a lot like insurance some of the names they use some of the terminology some of the structure of you know having to pay in a certain amount every month which looks and feels a lot like the concept of monthly premiums and things like that but it is definitely not health insurance why does that matter it doesn't matter as much now but the reason why these things are typically faith-based and not just a bunch of people with a common interest like, uh, I don't know, pickleball or horseback riding or something was a um, handful of years ago, as part of the Affordable Care Act, which I touched on last week and I'll, I'll touch on next, um, health insurance was required. The The whole sort of point of the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, was that uh, everyone needs to have insurance. If you don't, you're going to be, in effect, penalized. And here's why. Conceptually, it sort of makes sense. Granted, it doesn't sit well with a lot of people. You know, you can't tell me what to do type uh, type mindset. But if if the only people who ever bought insurance were those who were most likely to need it, you know, those who were, who were sick or otherwise have recurring problems, and the people who were healthy and had low chances or, or thoughts or expectations of needing insurance – they are more likely to not buy insurance and, and just wing it. So what you're left with is this concept of adverse selection where those buying insurance are the, are the ones who are most likely to actually use it and get benefits from it, which means if you only have a limited number of people buying health insurance, well, that insurance is going to be really expensive because the ones who are buying it, are the ones who are actually going to use it and need it. And, and that's just, it's not sustainable. I mean, I don't know what the dollar figure estimates are, but, but, but think about it, right? If you only had... I don't know. I'm just making up numbers. I better not because I'm just going to start randomly saying some some nonsense. But um, ho- hopefully you catch the, the gist here, right? Insurance companies know they're going to have to be paying a lot for everyone who's insured because they're going to be heavy users of the system, of the services. So the premiums are going to be crazy. And it's just not going to be affordable for those who actually need it. So the, the concept behind the Affordable Care Act was that the system's not going to work like that. We need the health – by we, I mean the system – need the healthy people who aren't heavy users of insurance, who, who aren't likely to have a lot of claims and benefits paid on their behalf, we need them to contribute to this social pool, if you will, because insurance really kind of needs to be that. It needs to be this social shared pool for it, to, for it to work. Otherwise, the cost will be astronomical again, like I mentioned. Um, we need everyone to contribute, to have a policy, to pay in at least something into the system. So, where I'm going with this was, as part of the Affordable Care Act that went into place under the Obama era, era, um, was that if you didn't have qualifying coverage, you you were penalized. I forget what the penalty was. I want to say it was like a thousand bucks, maybe two thousand for a couple. I don't remember. But there was a, what they called a shared responsibility payment. Okay, you don't have coverage, fine, but we're going to make you still pay something into the system. And it was just an outright tax, basically, you know, an excise penalty, if you will. So, um. Coming back, finally, in my long-winded way, people of of certain faiths, generally Christian—now, maybe there was other denominations, I, I don't know, but commonly this was Christian—were able to be exempted from that shared responsibility thing on religious grounds. And I don't know exactly how or why this was the case, but the gist was, my religion doesn't uh, permit me to have health insurance or something, or or maybe it was because the health insurance that's commercially available— um, at least partially goes to cover things my my religion doesn't agree with, um whether it's abortion or birth control, or uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. but the the ultimate point was, if you were of a certain faith, namely Christian, um you were able to be exempted from having to have health insurance under under uh, Obamacare. At least that's my understanding of it. So, now, just because they were exempted from having traditional insurance, it doesn't mean people of that faith didn't want some sort of backstop or coverage. So they they created these what's called uh, health sharing networks, where they would, amongst themselves, you know, people of the, of the same faith who were similarly exempted from having traditional insurance, um, would pool their money and, in effect, create what looks and feels like insurance, but it ultimately isn't. But functionally, it sort of sort of operates like that. So long way of saying uh, that's another possible option. If you're you're one of the qualifying members, you know, again, let's assume it's a Christian faith-based health sharing thing. You kind of need to be Christian, I think. Now, frankly, I don't know how rigorous the screening or validation process is. What's to stop someone from showing up and be like, yeah, I'm Christian? Well, you know, when you're not, I never looked into it, but um, that's an option. Now, there's lots of differences between that and traditional insurance. There's lots of things they don't cover. Definitely, if you are considering one of these faith-based health sharing programs, heavily research it, especially for you and your own specific drug needs, doctor needs, service needs, um, you know, make sure what you're you're actually likely to use is going to be at least partially covered under this arrangement because if not, uh, it may not may not work out so well. The next option is the Affordable Care Act, aka aCA otherwise known as Obamacare or the quote-unquote exchange, the government exchange. So again, see episode 38 or listen to episode 38, where I go into this in much more depth. But what this is, is the sweeping overhaul to the uh, health insurance landscape and policy uh, availability, affordability put in place under the uh, Obama administration. That's why it's called Obamacare. The gist of this was or is... That we want, or the government wants as many people as possible covered by health insurance again, for this social pooling type of concept that you can't just have the sick people buy insurance because it's going to be astronomically expensive. You need the healthy people as well to pay in. So it all sort of defrays and blends out the costs for everyone. The Affordable Care Act, what's different about it is it's 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 facilitated. It's run by the government, but it's not government insurance. Like like Medicare is actually government run. Uh, or at least the base Medicare is government-run health insurance. Affordable Care Act isn't. It's actual you know, third-party uh, commercial insurers like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Kaiser, United, Aetna, whatever. There's a bunch. And the in order to be an ACA eligible policy, it needs to do and have and cover certain things. Like I talked about last week, I won't get too in-depth in depth here, but um, you know, they need to cover certain things, preventative screening-type things. They cannot refuse you coverage because of pre-existing conditions things like that. So that that's what it takes to amongst other things to qualify to be an affordable care act plan. Now you may be saying okay well it sounds good that you know these insurers are forced to cover a lot of things they otherwise wouldn't and or are forced to provide insurance to someone who would otherwise be ineligible because that person has a pre-existing condition that's probably going to be expensive to cover how does this work? Well, it comes back to the um, sort of health sharing thing or, or uh, you know, pooled resource thing where there used to be a uh, shared uh, responsibility payment if you didn't have insurance. So you're kind of forced to have qualifying insurance to help pay into the healthcare care system. Um, that has since stopped. As of, I think, 2018, there is no longer, at least at the federal level, no longer a requirement for you to have health insurance or be penalized. You can be insurance free if you want. It's not going to uh, hit you with any sort of surcharge. Um, th- there are other ways that the Affordable Care Act is, is funded. There was something called the Net Investment Income Tax that was put into place in 2013, I think. This is a flat 3.8% tax that people over certain incomes have to pay on all their uh, passive uh, investment activity like dividends, interest capital gains, You know, all that money helps fund the Affordable Care Act. So uh, I won't get too in-depth about you know the, the inner workings of the Affordable Care Act, but the uh, point is it's it's policies that are available to everyone in the country. You would go to healthcare.gov to start searching around. Uh, it actually is a fairly user friendly site, surprisingly. Put in you know to ask for basic info because policy availability differs wildly across states, and even I think within zip codes and like counties, there's different insurers that do or don't provide coverage in certain states and zip codes, uh, and, and at different prices. So I can't even really give estimates now. You know, If you live in, I don't know, Florida, your policy availability and cost could be very different to what it is in Alaska versus California versus Nebraska versus any other state you want to randomly come up with. But you go to healthcare.gov. You can search around. It'll ask you. You got to put in some basic info, name, birthdate, et cetera. Who else may be covered? You can get family coverage under this. It doesn't need to be just you. And and shop around and see what's available. And like I discussed last week, you'll you'll often see plans that are given a metal color, like bronze, silver, gold, or platinum. Um, that just signifies those are all the same underlying plans. The difference is how much you pay upfront monthly premiums versus if you want a lower premium, you're going to pay more on the back end in terms of out of pocket coverages and expenses. Um, so the good thing about ACA, it's it's available to anyone. Not necessarily cheap. The sticker prices of these policies aren't necessarily cheaper than uh, private insurance you can get somewhere or not necessarily cheaper than COBRA, extension of your employer benefits, etc. cetera. But one of the big benefits, like I mentioned last week's episode, is the ability to get your premiums at least partially subsidized through what's called premium tax credits. So that's the big unique, in my opinion, the big unique advantage and angle Of ACA, otherwise known as Obamacare, is the ability to potentially get your premium uh, costs defrayed if your income is below certain levels, and and I talked more about that last week. So um, definitely check that out. So this is an option for everyone, unlike some of these other things that aren't an option for you if you aren't married. uh, You know, if you don't have uh, your past eighteen months of Cobra, so you can't extend that. Um, Affordable Care Act is, uh, in theory, an option for everyone. May not be. Cost friendly, but but it's a theory. Uh, I'm sorry, it, it it is available nonetheless. And finally, the last option, and I I, I struggled to uh, consider this an option because the whole point of this episode is you are retired. How do you get health insurance now? And Medicare. So this last option may not be an option if you want to stay truly completely retired. But simply uh, get a part time job uh, at at an employer that has subsidized health insurance benefits for part-time employees. Now, there are some large, um, well-known employers that do indeed offer health insurance, you know, with some subsidies for part-time employees. Now, whether it's 20 hours or 20 something, I I don't know. But the point is, you don't have to work 40 hours a week to to get subsidized health insurance. Two come to mind, Starbucks and FedEx. I'm sure there's others out there. Those are just two that I'm aware of that, that I've seen personally uh, people who work part-time get, get coverage through. You could also get coverage through spouses typically, or or dependents, even if you have dependent children at home, that that's an option. So you may be saying, well, I already retired. You know, I don't want to go back to work, get health insurance. Well, in some cases it it may be your only or your best option, especially if you are, uh, financially not quite ready to stop work completely. You know, the, the income benefits of working part-time obviously, uh, make, make a lot of sense from a dollars and cents perspective. But even finances aside, the sort of softer side, emotional uh, aspects of, of retirement, part-time work could help transition into retirement. So, for example, if you worked 40 years, full steam, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week with commute, doing whatever job it was you were doing, maybe that was your identity. Maybe that was your reason for waking up. Maybe that was a structure and purpose you needed in your life. You stop cold turkey at age 60, whatever. You are sitting home. Now what do I do? Uh, it's quite common. I I've seen people get fairly depressed when they retire because they lost some sense of identity and purpose and, and sort of reason to get up and put pants on every day. So there's that working part-time can help transition you from the full-time go, go, go mindset to the eventual actually stop working completely and just have a life of leisure type mindset. Um, you know, working a handful of hours a week could, could be a really good way to sort of glide into that as opposed to just jump in. And, and hope for the best. So that that's that. Uh, that was the uh, last option. Is consider some part time work, uh, if for no other reason than to get some health insurance, but also that you have the added benefit of it'll produce uh, produce some income, and it'll help you sort of with some of the softer emotional sides of transitioning into traditional retirement of uh, stopping work completely. One final comment um, about Medicare is, you know, the whole purpose of this episode is I'm not yet Medicare eligible. I'm not 65. So uh, what am I going to do for health insurance? You may be thinking, well, my spouse is over 65 and I'm Medicare. Why can't I just get picked up on his or her policy? Well, simply Medicare doesn't work like that. It, it is individual coverage, always was, always will be. Um, the policy you ultimately get, the, you know, the Medicare coverage you ultimately get will only cover you, no one else. Same thing with your spouse. If your spouse is already sixty-seven, let's say, and on Medicare, that coverage is only for him or her. It, it, it cannot possibly be extended to cover you. Unlike traditional, you know, private commercial health insurance you've had most of your life, where you can have family policies that cover spouses or children, Medicare simply does not do that. Full stop. So, so that that's why it's not even an option to get added to your spouse's Medicare coverage unless you're sixty-five. You cannot get Medicare. Um, there's other things, depending on if you're disabled or of low income, there's Medicaid uh, for children is something called CHIP, C-H-I-P, Children Health Insurance Protection. I forget what it stands for, but let's save that for, for a different different day, different different topic. So that's it. Hopefully you liked this episode. Uh, if you did, definitely please take the time to a few minutes to, to give a little review, a thumbs up. if you're listening to an Apple podcasts, you know, uh, uh, flag it with some stars. and a nice little write up will be greatly, greatly appreciated because any sort of acknowledgement like that helps others uh, more easily find this podcast when they're searching for retirement related stuff. And if you uh, like this podcast and what I'm what I'm rambling about here, You'll also like my other content sources. My Facebook group is Taxes and Retirement. My YouTube channel is Retirement Planning Demystified. And my newsletter is Retirement Planning Insights. You can find links to all three in the notes of this episode. That's it. That's a wrap. Thank you as always for listening. I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you.